Welcome to the Estate Planning 101 series, an informative podcast brought to you by Discovery. Each episode will guide you through all anyone needs to know about leaving a legacy for their loved ones. It's also an educational tool for you as advisors to help navigate the conversations you have with your clients and to make those more beneficial. I'm your host, Bruce Whitfield. Join me as I chat to leading experts and professionals for insights on all the important components to consider for a well-rounded, hassle-free plan, as well as learning to better understand the human side of it all. After all, estate planning is as much about human lives and all the complexities that go along with it as it is about assets and money. In today's episode, I'll be doing just that, chatting through the human side of estate planning. What happens when life as you know it changes so dramatically? When it comes to financial planning, the human side of estate planning and how you need to navigate this deeply complicated area is best illustrated, I think, in a conversation which we're going to have today with Nikki Bush. Nikki is well known as a human potential expert and an author. And Gareth Friedlander, who is the Deputy Chief Executive at Discovery Life. I mean, Nikki, for you, you've gone through this extraordinary process of one moment, you go to bed one night and life is good. And life as you know it changes in an instant through absolutely no fault of your own. Yes, Bruce, it's a really bizarre situation, exactly as you've described it. There's a before this, and there's an after this. And life is never the same again after that. And so there's this disruption that takes place, this external disruption that you don't ask for, that you haven't wished for, but it hits you like a curved ball. And every part of your life changes from your emotions to your finances, to your living conditions. Just waking up every single day, you wonder what the hell happened to your life? And sometimes in that first year after a massive traumatic loss, and for me, it was the murder of my husband during a home invasion. And uh, I would wake up every single morning in a different place because I wasn't living in my own home anymore. We had to vacate our home because my youngest son could no longer live there. And we hadn't just lost my husband, but we'd lost my home. You know, so nothing was familiar. It was just so strange. There was nothing familiar. There was no routine. And while you're dealing with, you know, the avalanche of emotional trauma, you're also having to live another life of wrapping up a life and going through what I term the bureaucratic nightmare of wrapping up a life, which is really it boils down to the paper, the policies and the money. That's what's left beyond the memories. And it's quite weird when you are missing that person and all you're dealing with is the stuff that's written on pieces of paper and computer screen. It's just, I use the word again, bizarre. So you're thrown into a very unfamiliar space and place that is full of new emotions as well as lots and lots of legal and financial terminology, papers to sign, decisions to be made. And it's a really demanding time. 
for the person who's left behind, who is carrying the weight of it all, let alone the fact that you are having to deal with your own trauma. If you have children, you're dealing with your children's trauma. You're facilitating all of that and then dealing with the demands of the various service providers that you're dealing with in wrapping up a life. Nobody wants to ever be given the message that, you know, there is a dread disease in the family. But at least in that circumstance, there is time to get things sorted out as best as you possibly can, as best as one can, dealing with the horror of an impending death coming. But with the shock of losing your husband the way you did, your support mechanism is gone as well, because I'm guessing you wake up some morning and say, I really want to talk to him about that. Oh, yeah, I can't. And suddenly that reality also is one that I think dawns upon us when somebody disappears all of a sudden. Yeah, you're right. And as a parent, if you've been parenting together for many years, which we had been for 23 years, it's those decisions around your children. Or I wonder, you know, how do you think so-and-so is doing? What's your view on this? The reality that you're suddenly a single parent is the one thing. And then, of course, the financial reality of we previously had two incomes. Now I'm a sole provider. And all I have to rely on at that point is my husband speaking from the grave through his will. And the executor is now the person who I have to deal with. And that person is now my pretend husband on matters concerning wealth, finances, legal stuff. It's just surreal. When we listen to Nikki's story, and uh, tragically in South Africa, it is more common than in many other parts of the world. That idea of being absolutely ready for chaos to break out, to have an estate plan that is well-structured, that is practical, that is laid out as it should be at all times is nigh impossible, I would think. It really is, Bruce. You know, I've spent some time with Nikki over the past few months and, you know, even myself, who is obviously dealing in the game every single day, I don't think I'd sat down and looked at the practical side of what goes into wrapping up a life, which is a bizarre thing to say, you know, in in my position. But I think that it's quite staggering to see what goes into it and understanding that you're dealing with someone who's kind of not in their normal mindset and, and is dealing with an enormous amount of trauma and a huge amount of other things that are far more important in their lives. It really does talk to the importance of thinking beforehand what goes into this. You want to be in a position where as far as humanly possible, you've made things easy for your future self if you know, you're know you in this terribly unfortunate scenario should it arise. There are only a couple of things that are certain in life, and that's what's the death and taxes. And that's Benjamin Franklin. That's hundreds of years ago. Death is inevitable. But what is not inevitable is, well, we don't expect is the multiple layers of trauma. And the process of tying up somebody's life is a grotesque reality of death for the person who's left behind. Gareth, how do we do this in a way that is as untraumatic, as unintrusive as possible? Because just the sheer bureaucracy of it is appalling. Absolutely. I mean, before I go there, Bruce, maybe some stats like any good actuary. Um, of course. But of course. it is it's quite scary to see, and obviously more so in a country like South Africa, of our unnatural death claims that we had last year. And these will all be claims 
that were unexpected, not dissimilar to the scenario that Nikki was taking us through. But one in three of them were motor vehicle accidents where there were fatalities. 28% were suicides. All of these are unbelievably traumatic and they happen. We tend to see statistics and think it kind of happens to someone else. And then all of a sudden you're that person. And I can tell you, looking at the statistics from kind of above, they really do happen. They happen to everyone. They happen to all ages, all income levels. You're not immune to this. Um, and the statistics, unfortunately, do show that to be the case. How do you plan for it? You know, I think it's about everyone kind of taking this on board and really taking in uh, the message that Nikki is giving out around, you know, this can happen to anyone. Nikki will take you through her story and I think give you really good insight. But she herself is, is a very organized person and still completely underestimated the amount of admin bureaucracy etc. involved. And unfortunately, a lot of it is admin that we can't necessarily get around. We'd love to, as the provider, make our clients' lives as easy as possible, but there are certain documents you need. You just cannot get around it. You can't not ask clients for the various types of documents at that point in time to go through the claims process that is in place. So the only way to get around it, Bruce, is to think beforehand and to get those documents into an accessible place. We're living in a digital world now. Uh, many of those documents, unfortunately, you need originals as well, which is part of the complexities that we're dealing with. So it's about really thinking through what these are, dealing with your financial advisor. Financial advisors themselves, we need to equip more kind of urgently around what these types of red tape is around the claims process and just get ahead of the game. And do it bit by bit. It sometimes seems to be an incredibly all-encompassing process. How do I go and get these 30 documents today? I'll do it tomorrow. So maybe just put a plan in place and start eating that elephant bit by bit. You know, Nikki's got some fantastic insights on mm. this. It's the thing, Nikki, where the last thing you want to do is get out of bed in the morning, but you have to get out of bed because your kids need you and you also have this process to undertake. Take me back to married life and to planning, because as Gareth says, you are a meticulous planner. Had you thought through the process of what happens if one of us goes out and we don't come home, whether it be in a car crash or something else that is awful, had you planned as best as you thought you could before your husband was murdered? Well, the answer, Bruce, fortunately, is yes. There are two words that come to mind. The one is making provision for your family. And that requires, as a responsible parent, having a will. Number one, do you have a will? Who are going to be the executors, the trustees, you know, all those sorts of things. Do you have policies that will pay out? So the provision and the planning needs to take into account things like, okay, so if one of us dies, have we got personal life insurance? That's the first one. And if I tell you that that policy kicked in within two to three weeks of my husband's death, it meant that I had liquidity immediately. Now, if you have a family and you've got school fees and you've got just everyday expenses, 
depending on which partner goes, do you have access to the bank account? Some women in particular, I cannot tell you over the past two and a half years how many women's audiences I've actually addressed where they literally have their mouths wide open because they don't know how to access the bank account. They don't know who's getting the utility bills or how much they even are. They don't know if there are trusts. They don't know anything about the financial planning of the family. They've left it completely to their husbands or their husbands have just never bothered to keep them in the loop. So I do think that we need to be empowering everybody, not just men, not just women, everybody. We've got to empower people with knowledge. And yes, I was very fortunate. We had life insurance, both of us. So that was a good thing. We had short term insurance. I had to have a very messy claim sorted out. You know, we'd had a murder in our home. There was blood spatter on carpets, on furniture, on curtains, those things had to be replaced in order for us to just live every day. So we had a short term insurance claim. The funny thing is that when one thing goes wrong, many things seem to go wrong at the same time. I mean, I had a a borehole that got struck by lightning, motor that got struck by lightning, my swimming pool motor got struck by lightning, my gate motor stopped, all in the space of three weeks after my husband's death. My son had a car accident. The washing machine needed replacing. So you see the liquidity that you actually need because the energy is all gone awry. So that's just immediate. You've got a funeral. Do you have a funeral policy? You know, we see a lot of these being advertised on TV. You don't realize how much a funeral costs until you get into it. Have you got the liquidity to pay for that? Then you need to be looking at my husband was employed. So group life cover. There was a whole group risk claim, and that included pension, provident fund. Uh, It included things like an education extender benefit so that my kids' education would be paid for. There was a medical aid extender benefit. I didn't even know those things existed. They were kind of surprises that were quite nice to receive at that time. So medical aid, for example, is covered for the next 10 years. You know, those things help soothe the pain a little bit. And All of these policies pay out at different rates. And I think this is the thing that people aren't aware of. Now, suddenly you're juggling the personal trauma of what you've gone through. You're juggling not only your own terrible pain, but you're juggling the pain of your family, the pain of friends and colleagues and everybody who is traumatized immediately. And you're also a a well-known person. So you're being approached from all kinds of quarters and there is suddenly a public interest in the trauma of your life. And the invasions are coming from hundreds of different directions. And then lightning strikes and a car crash and, and, and. And this is compounding hugely on absolutely everything. And suddenly this thing, which is an administrative burden, is also trauma upon trauma, and it's consistent and is almost unending. I mean, that first month was horrendous, what you had to go through. Well, the first month on an emotional level, first 18 months on an emotional level were just unbelievable. That first month is pure shock. I think that's actually the easiest month. To be honest, it's the relentlessness of it after that that never, ever stops from the emotional 
stuff to the administrative nightmare because it goes on and on. And I've been really honest with people. And as you said, I have a public profile. So people are watching how I respond. I've often said, I don't know how people who don't have connections and who are not educated actually wrap up a life because I hit some real blocks in the way. And the only way to overcome those blocks was to get to CEO level or to threaten to go to the press. And because I am part of the press, they really knew I meant it. So, you know, to have to threaten that just to get customer service is like rubbing salt into the wound. You're already raw and bleeding, and now you have salt rubbed into the wound. So, you know, having to really put one's big girl panties on and become quite tough and start demanding customer service. You know, when you think customer service should exist anyway, I think it's a tough place to be because there is no script for death in this industry. And I'm talking legal, I'm talking financial, I'm talking service providers, I'm talking utilities. There is no script for death. You get through to a call center and you say, I have an extended warranty on my vehicle. My husband has died. The policy is in his name. How do I maintain this policy? I need cover for my vehicle. And you get the response, I'm sorry, madam, we need to speak to the policyholder. Have I not explained? Why are we so bad at this? What is there within this big system which deals with death all the time? Why is it such a failure in your view? Well, I think that death and grief and loss has not been made accessible on an emotional level. We don't like to go there. We don't like to have the conversation. We don't like to look our own mortality in the face. And actually, I can even tell you that having been through such a traumatic loss, even I am sometimes lost for words when I speak to people who've just lost somebody. And I should know better. We just find it really, really hard. And your financial advisors and brokers and clerks and people in call centers have not been taught how to deal with somebody who phones in and says, somebody's just died. This is what needs to happen. I actually am at a point where I think that in many of those situations, there should just be a little sticker in front of each call center operator saying, send this call to the customer service manager. You need somebody who's just a little more skilled immediately. Don't even get into it. Say, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm going to escalate this. That's what somebody like me wants to hear. Because I have to tell you, Bruce, I started feeling invisible and I started feeling like a number. And it was a very, very challenging thing. I felt like I was being treated like an idiot. And that didn't help my, you know, my traumatized emotions at all. In fact, it made me very angry. And I have learned, and you know me, you've met me, you know I'm not the kind of person to throw swear words around, but I have learned to swear. I have learned to lose my temper, and I'm not somebody who lost her temper more than five times before her husband died in her entire 50 years. But I have learned to lose my temper face-to-face -face and on the phone to the point at which people a block away from my home could hear me using four-letter words down the phone. That is the level of frustration and irritation that I was driven to with people like a call center operator saying for the third or fourth time, 
but we need to speak to Mr. Bush. And I kept saying, well, would you like a direct line to heaven? What can I do to make this right for you to help me? Actually, I'm the one who should be served in this situation. Based on your experience, and I don't think that your experience tragically is unique, I think it is probably more common than it is unusual that you have to go through this extraordinary process. Could you have planned better? You seem to have been better organized than most. At least there was a will. At least there was cover. At least there was some money coming in to provide the liquidity. But you still have to go through the admin of wrapping up a human being's life. And not just any human being, somebody who is as near and dear to you as any human being can possibly be. Could you have done it better? Well, that's a really good question. And I thought I was really well prepared because I had what I call a what-if file. When my financial advisor appeared about 36 hours after my husband's death and sat down with me, and fortunately I had a very good relationship with him and had been working with him for about five years, and he'd really taken the trouble to learn about our family and who we were and what our needs were. And he sat down and took me through a high-level view of my financial position. We sat for about an hour. And when he stood up, he used these four words, which will forever remain indelibly imprinted on my mind. And so it begins. (laughs) So awful. I mean, there's a capitulation there. I mean, the person who's giving you the advice, as wonderful as they are, there's the capitulation. It's saying the system doesn't work. So brace yourself. Yeah, so here is what I felt in that instant when he said, and so it begins. I went, it's going to be okay. I have my file. It's got copies of every policy. It's got copies of all our birth certificates and marriage certificates and ANC agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, oh, I was just checking that your ANC membership card. It's not even not, that would help you. But, <laughs> yeah, anti-natural uh, contract anti-natural for those contracts. who don't. Yeah. So, you know, it's got everything because I had actually been through something about four years before my husband's death. He had been diagnosed with an arrhythmia, so an irregular heartbeat. And at that time I went, oh, my goodness. What if he dies? So that's when I'd actually collated all these documents, put them in a file, labeled it what if, told the whole family that's where everything was, and started keeping PIN numbers and passwords in a password-protected file. And so I was organized, or so I thought, until I had to start providing documentation. And when I provided birth certificates for my children for a claim, I was told, hmm, We need vault copies of those. And I went, well, what is a vault copy birth certificate? Well, you have to apply at home affairs for that. Now, that's the last thing you want to be doing when you're traumatized to standing at home affairs. So we needed vault copy birth certificates for our children. We needed an unabridged marriage certificate. Everyone's walking around with their little A5 marriage certificate. That's not sufficient for a provident fund claim. I didn't have, now here, this is where you're going to laugh. You're going to think, Nikki Bush, you are so organized. How could you let this happen? All the utility bills were in my name, but they were all being emailed to my husband and he was paying them out of our joint bank account every single month. Now, when you're trying to wrap up a life, you really do need FICA documents, you need proof of residence, you need all of that 
in order to get the process going. And do you know, my husband had three different email addresses and we couldn't find where they were being emailed to. We found some passwords for City of Johannesburg, Water, ESCOM, etc. Do you think any of those passwords worked for the e-commerce sites? We literally, for about six to eight weeks, couldn't move on anything because the electricity bill that I always carried around in my handbag literally expired three days before my husband's death. It's mind-boggling. And, and uh, Gareth, I'm, again, not shocked, but am horrified by just the level of insensitivity that exists in our world. And I suppose if you're somebody working at a call center and this is the third person who's phoned you making their problems yours, you can become quite immune to the pain of what people are going through. And is it a big flaw in this post-life industry? Yeah, Bruce, it still kind of gets to me listening to Nikki speak. You know, the emotions that claimants go through during these times. And we've spent a lot of time trying to work out how to keep it unbelievably human and unbelievably personal. But as you say, you've got people who are dealing with this by numbers. You're talking thousands of claims a month coming through. And it's probably quite difficult for them as well, in a sense. If you are going to get emotionally invested in every single claimant, um, that can be unbelievably draining. To be able to have that emotional aptitude, to have the sensitivity needed, is quite a difficult task in its own right. It's something we continue to and need to spend more time in terms of actually training the department themselves to deal with these. But I think something that Nikki said is absolutely right. You know, it's about getting the right service to the right people. Much of the time, I think Nikki was probably dealing with a department that didn't necessarily deal with clients in her position on a daily basis. So when you're getting through to the wrong department that's not necessarily equipped to deal with a claimant, a person in that situation, that can be even more horrifying. I think that's the, the some of the scenarios that Nikki's described, you know, where you've clearly got a call center agent who is in a specific situation dealing with a very specific set of claims and probably dealing with hundreds or thousands of them mm. on a monthly basis, and they've just got their script, right? So I think having that discipline to understand and train your staff, your, your consultants, your call center agents to realize when you come into contact with someone who's in a situation like Nikki's, to take a step back have that sticky note in front of you and escalate when necessary. It's just so important to remain human and to keep that empathy in dealing with these situations. It's very difficult to do, Bruce, at scale, but it's, it's unbelievably important. We're not selling anything tangible except an experience at the end of the day. There's two parts to that. Firstly, there's the provision itself. But there's the way that you provide that experience to clients. You're looking for somebody to just understand. And the role of the financial advisor here is critical. But Nikki's financial advisor says, 
And so it begins. It's like being on the plane and the pilot says saying to you, brace, brace, brace. (laughs) It's not going to end well. (laughs) There's another aspect here that I think we also have to bear in mind. And it was something that raised a feeling in me as an end user that brokers and financial advisors must keep top of mind. I know that fraud exists. And that kind of risk is always in the back of of a broker's mind. They're trained to sniff out fraud. And I constantly felt that I was having to prove that I was not defrauding my service providers. There was this element of mistrust And I don't know how you get rid of that because fraud does happen. I mean, I really felt like my claims fell right into a period where the awareness of fraud was so heightened that almost every customer was in the wrong. And I really do appreciate that one has to be wary of fraudulent claims. And when I speak to market researchers who who do this kind of research, they say you'd be amazed at what people actually get up to, to try and get you know money out of estates and money from claims that they shouldn't, etc. So I really do appreciate that we are also dealing with having to mitigate risk for fraudulent claims. But I think so much of it is around the wording that people use. And that's why I say there's no script for death. It's things like saying, I'm really sorry. You don't have to go into detail, but you just have to say to somebody, I'm really sorry for your loss and mean it. Or things like, I know you've been having a hard time. How are you doing today? Today may be a good day. Today may be a bad day. You know, it swings and roundabouts. And that phrase of how can I help you? You need to promise efficiency. You need to promise that you're going to help tie this up as quickly as possible. It may not be a quick experience, but it's really about holding somebody's hand through the process and journeying with them. And that word with, it's an important word. We are together in this. I will partner you in this. This is a tango. It's going to have some fast moments, some slow moments. It's going to have some close moments, some far moments, whatever it is. It's to be realistic. This isn't going to be an easy journey, but I'm here for you. And I'll be with you. And I'm on it. And then the last thing I'd say is, please keep your word. Don't overpromise and under-deliver. I get that this is a messy part of financial services. I get it. But please don't overpromise. And then know your product. If there's one thing I can say from my experience, the really shocking experiences that I've had are when brokers don't know their products well and then they tell you you're going to get this amazing payout and then you don't because they didn't read the fine print. They didn't know the product. So product knowledge is vital. It's really, really important. When you have a traumatized client, they can't read 15 pages of fine print. It goes in one eye, out the other, and what you say goes in one ear and out the other. We need people who know their stuff so well that they can succinctly give us a high-level view, knowing that the fine print will will support it. And my real anger has come where I've been over-promised and under-delivered because of lack of product knowledge. How would you plan differently? I mean, you had 
the huge advantage of being in a happy marriage, in a stable family, in a nuclear sort of family environment. There weren't issues of divorce. I mean, there are people whose lives are considerably more complex than who are considerably more disorganized than you. What sort of guidance could you give to the rest of us to say, look, guys, you may be the one who disappears. You'd have nothing left to worry about. It's those you leave behind who have the mess to clean up after you. Well, I say to people, love each other and yourself enough to get your affairs in order before you have to. And so I've created the what if file checklist based on what was in my what if file on my husband's death and what I discovered was missing. I now have about over 40 items on the checklist. Oh, come on. I do. I do. And do you know how many people call me and ask me for the checklist and receive it during my talks? And what I do say to them is receiving the checklist doesn't do anything for you. It's going to take you two to three full days to actually pull everything together so that you've got what you need in the event of a crisis. And you know, it just is mind blowing because you've got to think of the big things and the little things. It's things like two and a half years after my husband's death, my trailer was involved in a bit of a car accident and was written off. And it's one of the things we forgot to move into my name out of my husband's name. That insurance claim is now a nine month old insurance claim that I cannot complete because we cannot get hold of the latest documents from the, the licensing department because we've got to do a name swap, ownership swap. You see, so there's all these things. So keeping lists of trusts, policies, all of that's important. Otherwise, you might not claim something that you rightfully should claim. And I was having a look at my documentation the other day and I was reminded that my husband had forgotten that he bought shares in his 20s. And when I went through the filing cabinet, when we moved house, I trawled through every single folder. I found these share certificates. If I had not taken the time to do that, there would be shares unclaimed. And there's a lot of stuff that remains unclaimed after people's death. So it's, it's, it's having lists. It's having checklists. That's important. I had actually prepared... For my death, in the event of my death, my husband had everything he needed. He hadn't been so helpful <laughs> in preparing <laughs> me for his death. So, You're so calm. You're to so be honest, calm. no, no, no. I'm actually, had I, I've had time. But let me tell you, Bruce, to be very honest, I was incredibly angry with my husband for a good 18 to 24 months. I actually was red hot angry with him not just because he'd opened the patio door and stepped outside to go and see what was happening in our garden and been murdered in the process. Mm. But I was red hot angry that he had not kept his affairs in order. He'd lost his birth certificate seven years before he died because it had been in a car that was stolen when he was trying to renew a passport. And he was not born in this country. It took me 18 months to get a birth certificate after his death for something that I needed to apply for for my children. So if you want to leave your loved ones in a better emotional space, you really need to think about how it's going to be for them when they have to wrap up your life, should they have to wrap up your life, and what might they need in order to do so. And unfortunately, that does boil down once again to policies and money and pieces of paper, whether they're in your computer or whether they're in a folder, a file somewhere. Does somebody know where that is? 
Can they access it? And, you know, every family, I'm sure, has different structures, different secrets. I don't know, in a situation where a marriage is not happy, you know, who are you going to give access to your computer to or your password file to? Is it going to be your lawyer or your accountant in the event of your death? How are people going to access your stuff in this very digital world where if you don't leave them with a master password to your password folder... (laughs) They're not going to be able to access your stuff. So it is a bit of a minefield, and I don't think it's ever going to be easy. I really don't. I don't think there's any easy way to do this, but I think it's easier if your paperwork is in order, if the documents are available, if you've got up-to-date proof of residence, if you have a relationship with a financial advisor and your broker so that when you call them, In my case, I didn't have to call anybody. My case was so public that everybody called me. And even my GP called me and said, you can have as much as you like of whatever (laughs) you like. And that's when I really knew that I was in trouble. Oh, Nikki Bush. I mean, the trauma of no matter how well you organized, here it begins. It's made my blood run cold. It really has. Gareth, When we look at this industry, we look at the inevitability of death. We look at the inevitability of there are others who are going to have to clean up after you. Regrettably, the industry is not going to do it. It is up to individuals, I think, to be as best prepared as they possibly can and for your dependents to know that there is going to be a series of train wrecks, but you've done your very best to limit the impact of those train wrecks as best as you possibly can. Yeah, Bruce, I think all our listeners will be feeling uncomfortable. You know, I know that's how I felt when hearing Nikki's story for the first time and went straight to my wife and started telling her where things are. And it is something we just need to think about now and act upon. You know, it's quite easy to hear this podcast and then kind of get swept up in the rest of your day but it doesn't take an enormous amount of time today when things are all good and you can ask each other where things are be proactive about it you can do it fairly quickly but it's about just taking that step and I think it really does Bruce talk to the importance of brilliant financial advice having an advisor who you trust who can navigate the system with you and for you who is holistic so that you're not having to deal with 20 different advisors on 20 different parts of your matters. So it's up to us as an industry to create awareness through people like Nikki to try and get our clients to be more proactive up front so that we can avoid as much as possible of this pain post-death and also the real importance and value of, of brilliant holistic financial advice. Gareth Freelander, thank you very much. Deputy Chief Executive at Discovery Life and also to Nikki Bush, who is the human potential expert, the author and the survivor of extraordinary bureaucracy, trauma, pain, and somebody who shares her stories so that you don't have to feel it to the extent that she did, despite being hyper-organized, at least she thought she was. If you've enjoyed this conversation, then be sure to look out for the rest of our series on all things to do with estate planning. Next, I'll be chatting to Nikki once again about how to prepare for life's biggest what-ifs. Joining her will be the Discovery Certified Financial Advisor, Annalena Tsipi. We look forward to you joining in on this conversation too.
the Estate Planning 101 series, an informative podcast aimed at helping you better guide your clients through the process and is brought to you by Discovery.